So before we jump into today's episode, I'm so excited to let you know that this episode is brought to you by my six-month mentorship program, The Sustainable Visibility Incubator. This is for introverted entrepreneurs who want to feel safe to be seen on a consistent basis so they can grow their business in a way that feels completely aligned to the lifestyle that they want to create. This is only open once a year, so if you are interested in learning when the next cohort is enrolling, head on over to the show notes for the waitlist link so you can be notified when the application process is open. Alrighty, back to the show. Hello, my lovelies. This is May Kay Sang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor, cat lover, and the proud host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently, and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to The Quiet Rebellion. Hello, my wonderful Quiet Rebels. I'm so, so excited for this conversation today because we're going to be talking about something called service beyond the sale. I mean, it's been a hot minute since we've had a conversation about client experiences. We had Stacey Coyle in episode number 35, and she talked about the onboarding process. And what my guest is speaking with us today is like, what happens after you onboard a client? Because it can seem like just like the goal is just a sale, right? But no, it's the fulfillment of the service you are providing. And that's what my guest is speaking with us um, about. Does that make sense? (laughs) That's what my guest is speaking with us about today. So I want to welcome the amazeballs, Maggie Patterson, onto the show. So Maggie, thank you so much for coming to speak with us, Quiet Rebels. I'm super excited to be here, especially because you and I have already had a conversation about our conversation. Yes, we did. It's like, we, we have to, this is a preliminary process, but I love it because it makes our conversations just flow a lot more beautifully. So Maggie, before we get into all of the juiciness, like of what you like to call the messy middle of service providers. Oh, interesting. Can you tell us how you got into this? So I got into this because I was in university and I was taking politics and my plan was to be a political correspondent. And I was like watching the news one day. I was like, oh my word, I can't be a journalist. So I ended up going back to school after I graduated, like many of us do, and going into public relations because I was like, well, this is related. And from there, you know, I went on, I worked in a PR agency and that was really like a job that was made for me. I was there for five years, but um, at the time I got pregnant, you know, a very common story for many women. When I got pregnant, there's a lot going on in my personal life. My husband works shift work. Despite my year-long Canadian maternity leave, I was like, there is no way I can go back. And you know what? I knew I wasn't going back. Like when I left, I packed up my whole office. And I was like, just in case you need the space. I knew I wasn't going to come back. 
And, but, you know, I took a year to really make that official. So that from there, you know, that was 20, no, not even, yeah, 2005. So I have been my own boss since then. I'm in very permutations, a freelancer who did not raise her rates for eight years. And then really moving from freelancing into building, I have what I have now, which is a content marketing agency. And then because everyone was like, well, how have you done that? I also mentor service business owners on the side. Mm, yes. And what I love is that you, you, so you have a podcast, which I love listening to because it's just so honest. And that's what I really love about it. And I, I saw the brew band from when it was like small business boss podcast to the BS free business podcast. So what made you make that transition? Like what BS are you calling out? <laughs> oh, <all of> it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny when I made that transition um, back in June of 2020, it had been like, I, the podcast had had that name for about three years and it had some other names as my former co-host and I were trying to figure that out. And I was like, well, what is really at the heart of what I do? And I was like, yeah, I cut the BS. And like in 2015, I had a course called the No BS Marketing School. Like, so, you know, the, the No BS is an ongoing theme for me. And I mean, the BS is from how we explain think we should do BS from clients, BS from the industry. Like I'm over all of it. I've been here far too long and seen way too many things. And I'm like, nope, going to just kind of call it like it is because I think there's so many things that we think we have to do. And I'm like, you know what? It's actually quite simple to run a business. We just add layers of complexity onto it because we listen to so much noise. Mm. Oh, so good. Can you... Obviously, that because you said all of it, but can you give us an example <laughs> of the kind of BS that you're calling out and like cutting yeah. through? So perfect example is like exactly what we're going to talk about today, which is the service beyond the sale. The If you look at like predominantly in the online business world, the biggest focus is on how do you make the sale? Mm-hmm. Nobody really wants to talk about what happens once you get the client. Um, and we talk a lot about things like onboarding, but we don't talk about like, what does it really mean to provide a client experience? We don't mm-hmm. talk about how do we show up and be in integrity. There's a lot of like quippy, like quippy things that are like boundaries and jokes about clients. But it's like when you are working with someone as a service provider, you're in a relationship with them. So how are you constantly negotiating that relationship, strengthening that relationship, and making sure it's a mutual win? Because I feel like one of the biggest pieces of BS in this is it makes it so centered on us that we don't think about what the client needs. It's I'm going to get the money. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to serve this and and then be on to my next sale. And it's like, you know what, if you do customer experience really, really well, everything else in your business is going to go a lot easier. You're not going to have to market as hard. You're not going to have to sell as hard. You're going to be able to get away from a lot of the practices that probably don't really sit well with you as a quiet rebel in the first place. The things that make your skin want to crawl, do your customer experience really, really well, and you won't have to do those things. Mm, Yes, so true. Because I remember when I was working under the wing of a mentor, um, and granted, in retrospect, I do realize that he can be considered a bro marketer, right? And he prided himself in acquisition. He was like, this is my strength, make hey, you know, I'm just going to acquire, acquire, acquire. And then he looked at me and he was like, and I need you because you focus on retention. You take care of the community that is growing because of me. And I thought about it for a long time. I was like, oh yeah, that's true. Because I, I literally realized that my 
it's actually my maternal instinct to be honest I'm not a mother yet but I've always felt like I will I always felt like a mother who does, just doesn't have children yet, basically. And not to say that my, my clients or my customers are my children, but the point is that when someone comes into the space that I provided, that I want to really take care of them. So I love what you're talking about here. It's kind of like you can focus a lot less on acquiring new clients if you take care of your current ones really well, because they wind up being advocates of your work and sometimes affiliates, if that's an arrangement that you want and stuff. So I love this conversation. It's just kind of like minimize. Um, no, not minimizing, minimalizing, <laughs> like um, our marketing efforts if we just focus on the fulfillment part of the process of service beyond sales. So how do we get started with this, Maggie? So I think the easiest thing is to look at, and like this is where you're gonna have to take a deep breath and just be like, okay, I'm gonna commit to being curious and figuring out what's really happening and looking at every part of that customer journey. So what we tend to do is we onboard people and we're good for like 10 to 30 days. Like we're <laughs> really great. And then what happens after that? We don't necessarily have a plan. So, you know, what happens after 30 days in a project? What happens after 30 days if someone is in your community? What happens after 30 days um, if they're a retainer client? And looking at what are all those touch points? So, you know, if you're doing done-for-you services, what does your project management look like? How does the client have consistent visibility? How can they trust you and not get a, a severe case of the whatabouts where they're like, hey, what's happening with this? What's happening with this? Your clients need to feel secure at all times. And part of that is visibility in the process. Then also looking at communications, no matter what type of business you run, how often you have those touch points with your clients. And I'm not talking about endless amounts of calls. Sometimes it's just like, hey, I want to give you an update that the update is there is no update. <laughs> like literally giving people saying, constantly reaffirming for them, hey, I'm on it. I've got this handled. You can trust me. Because if you mm -hmm. think about the things as a service provider, as a business owner that that probably irk you the most, especially if you are someone who is introverted and just wants to be left alone to do your work, it's clients constantly picking at you and asking questions and everything else. So anticipating those things before they happen and being the one who's in control of it, you're taking so back so much agency and you're going to be so much happier in what you do. And like, I am a serious introvert like serious. I do not want people questioning me. I literally want to just be left alone to do my creative work. And I have trained my clients to do this. And this is the way my agency runs because I just want everyone to be happy. And for me to do my work, I don't want to answer questions. if I don't have to. Mm, so true. So, so true. Like when I think back to all of my projects um in the past when I did done for you service I only offered VIP days and a group mentorship program right now so I'm just thinking in retrospect but there is a phrase that you said train my clients so what would you say like what went into that how did you start training your clients how did you communicate with them how did you meet them you know where they're at that sort of thing so the easiest thing and I started doing this probably seven or eight years ago is starting off in the proposal. And yes, I do write proposals. I know for a lot of you that are in the online business world, it's very, um, everyone like totally trashed his proposals. I love proposals and I literally could write a love letter to them and like maybe an entire motion picture about them because they are so powerful in my business. And one of the things I do in my proposals is I clearly state 
this is how we work together. I lay out, you can main, communicate with us in our, in our base camp. You, you know, we are open these hours. Every single kind of rule of engagement is laid out. So that does two things. It tells the clients that are ideal to work with us exactly what they're going to ex- expect. And it creates a sense of security and trust for them immediately within that sales process. And then for non-ideal clients where it's a sticking point, we're able to screen them out at that point because they know like, hey, they're not going to be at my back and call. They actually take their vacation days. Their office is closed for a week in July. By setting the pace from the initial stage of the relationship, we're able to communicate so much. Um, And it's just very factual. It's not like, oh, just wanted to let you know or apologizing for it. It's taking ownership and saying, this is how we run. If you want to work with us, we're really professional, but this is how we do it. Um, And beyond that proposal process, again, reinforcing it in the contract, reinforcing it in like, you cannot tell people enough times because they do not read. So (laughs) the proposal, the contract, the onboarding, consistently affirming that to clients. And I think, you know, even on a day-to-day basis, saying little things like, this is when you will hear from me next. Um, This is the next step in the process. Constantly pacing things for your clients alleviates their stress. Because if you look at when the average good client is kind of getting on your nerves or grating on you, it's probably something that you could have very easily done to prevent that in advance. Mm. Oh, this is so true. Because when you were speaking about proposals, because I've sent very few proposals back when I was a copywriter, but I would I would kind of like set the ground rules, I'd say, in the contract mainly. Sometimes I had a welcome guide, sometimes I didn't. So for you, it's like, is it important in the proposal because that's before they sign on, if that makes sense? Because a contract, they could sign it probably after they paid their first invoice, for example. And the exactly. welcome guide is after they've actually officially signed on with you. So you're saying to do it all before and throughout. Yeah. And I mean, doing it before, um, when I think of probably the top five best things I've done in my business, that's right up there because it has literally changed the quality of clients. I no longer have clients who are coming in and just, you know, are just, they seem so great. And then you get into it and you're like, and if (laughs) you're in a situation where someone is not behaving, you can be like, Hey, you know what? Listen, I really want to work with you here, but I want to remind you that from the onset, I've been very clear that our office hours are nine to five. I've been very clear that we take that week off between Christmas and New Year's. Like you chose this. I didn't just spring this on you. So we need to work together. And I think one of the things we talk about boundaries so much because service providers consistently get pushed, but the Mm -hmm. boundaries also need to be, we need to be respectful of the client boundaries. So I always call it like these mutually, mutually beneficial boundaries. Like (laughs) me not being burnt out serves my clients just as much as me saying yes to the thing where they're totally running roughshod over me. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And so as you were speaking, I like something really popped to mind. I'm so curious to get your perspective on this. So I talked recently on a social media post. I can't remember the exact wording of it, but I referenced two things. One, the the glorification of over-delivering. So let, let's, let's unpack that first. So as a service provider, especially, um, we are told to over-deliver. 
right? Like there is a glory to it. Um, but there is a point when it comes, when it goes from being a bonus, it's like, oh yeah, I just happened to over deliver versus being a necessity for a great client experience. And yeah. then the second part of this is from your perspective, when you've communicated all of this, where does your ownership like end and their responsibility begin? So I think the over delivering thing is fascinating because the experiences I typically see is people are super over, like they over deliver to such a degree that it's ridiculous and it's harmful to them or mm. they're just phoning it in. I mm. don't see a lot of people are finding that kind of sweet spot. And I think as service providers, we need to do a better job of communicating to our clients when there are those rare instances where we are going above and beyond. And, you know, I'll give an example. Last fall, my client had a virtual event. They had never run up, run an event like that before. We were ended up being pulled into a lot of things. And I was very clear. I was like, this is out of scope. Mm -hmm. This is additional. This is extra. And I was like, and we ended up talking. I said, listen, I can give on this and this, and this can go into our normal scope of work, but this, that's $10,000 extra. <laughs> like, And just being very clear with them of like, this is now, we've now gone to the point of over-delivery. So I think there's that um, not constantly giving on small things because it becomes expected and doing mm. a better job of communicating of, I and like literally saying, I want you to know I'm making an exception in this instance mm -hmm. because you can be generous. You can give your clients um, that amazing service because you choose to in that moment, but you can't train them to expect it. You can't set it a precedent where they constantly think you're going to work extra. You're going to work on the weekends, whatever. So I think if you're going to breach the boundaries you've established, you need to clearly state that for them. And then the other thing is looking at within your process, where are you willing to give? Where are you not willing to give? Knowing what works for you and what doesn't. I think that's really important because for me, um, something like another round of edits, I don't feel super generous about that. <laughs> but I might be more generous on um, accelerating a timeline. So you have to kind of know what works for you and be able to negotiate that. And also to don't price your stuff in a way where you have no room to be generous or to make exceptions when it's in the best interest of the relationship you have with the client. So many times we underprice and then we overdeliver and then we mm. get resentful and then we're like we call all our clients they're bad clients. And it's like, well, they're not bad clients. You set up a bad um, bad working relationship based on the compensation you've agreed to, the terms of the relationship. And every single time I've had a bad client experience, I go back and I look at it and I think, okay, what was my role in this? Because I know every single time I was complicit, except one time, that one time I was not complicit, but every other <laughs> time where things have gone bad, I have been complicit in some way, shape or form. I have breached my boundaries. I've not communicated effectively. I've undercharged. There is a root cause of all those situations. And then what was the second part of the question? <laughs> I'm trying to remember myself because I'm just following along and nodding here. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, we, we can just like, you know, spring from there because uh, that was based on the, you know, where does your ownership end and their responsibility begin? But I, I like that it, it's taking responsibility without taking full blame. And I think that that's the key difference here. It's like, okay, 
I can't just say that, you know, I'm exempt from this whole process. You know, I, I, w- I did play a part of it. I was one of the two that did this tango. So what can I look back on? What can I reflect on doing better in the future? Like, how could I communicate better? How, if I breached my boundaries, did I say that or tell them that I'm making an exception? No, I probably didn't because I'm looking back at all of my done for you services. I'm like, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> That's what I didn't do because I made so many exceptions I'd, I was afraid to say that out of fear of like angering my client like oh past making <laughs> she didn't know any better but you know. like past Maggie was right there with you <laughs> yeah I'll pass those we can just linger um but okay that's that's great to know like reflecting on ourselves so how do we communicate that with our clients when we're not quite okay with something that's going on so I always say to my clients today is always a good day to reset your boundaries like, cause we always are looking for some reason to do it later. We don't want to mm-hmm. rock the boat. Great clients. The clients you want to work with in your business are going to get it. So, you know, it's a matter of having a relationship where you can go to them and say, okay, I want to talk about our turnaround times or just be like, Hey, listen, I've noticed lately things are, you know, normally we need a week. You're pushing it to 72 hours we need to reset here. You don't need to explain why you don't need to get into all the nitty gritty details. You just need to be okay with the redrawing the boundary and saying, Hey, this isn't working for me anymore. Let's renegotiate this. And sometimes that's going to be a hard, like, listen, it has to be a week. And other times it can be like, you know what? Five days works for us. So let's split the difference. And I think always looking for that opportunity to, um, deliver what the client needs, meet their timelines, and also be in service of yourself. And I think, at, especially to a service providers, as your, as your team grows, as you have more people involved, you've got more inputs, you've got more considerations. So your ability to communicate those things with the clients and um, hold those boundaries and those timelines and, you know, do what you say you're going to do for your team is equally as important. Mm, yeah. And I love that you said that you don't have to explain yourself because that could lean into the area of like justifying why you're bringing it up and that could that's a that could be a lot of kindling for for some sparks flying (laughs) yeah and you know I for my mentoring clients I review a lot of client communications emails they're always around those kind of sticky subjects and the number one thing I will do and I bless my copywriter heart but I'm like you need to cut this by two-thirds you are over explaining it. You do not, have, especially for women, especially for introverted women. We are so up in our head that we have an entire story created about this when really we could just can be factual. Mm. Oh yeah. Thinking of all of the communications that probably had a, probably had a story attached to it that was probably just fabricated in my own mind but then I projected it onto other people oh my goodness oh so so much so much good stuff here okay oh all right so client experiences going beyond the sale and actually the delivery the communication what else do you think makes up this messy middle that you describe so I think what's really funny is we pick and I don't know where this came from or what it is, we often focus on things that don't matter to our clients. So I'll give you an example. Branded client gifts. This is a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I'm going to send 
send you a branded client. I actually just got one from my client and it was amazing. I was like, this is the best, it's the best example of a branded client gift I've ever seen. But generally your client is not sitting around going, hmm, I really need a notebook with small business boss written. <laughs> not. So we focus on doing all these things that we think matter our clients care less about the gift and more about us doing a really, really good job, doing the final copy edit, delivering it in a format there. Because especially in the online world, I will say, if you're a service provider that works with other entrepreneurs, the bar is so freaking low that if you can actually deliver on time and on budget and in a way that made it um, seamless and painless for the client, you're going to be a rock star MVP of all time. And I mean, I don't say that to be bleak or negative. It's just the way it is because the way so many of us have, have been taught and conditioned is that the client is an afterthought. So if you can do the basics really, really well in the mid messy middle, you're going to be like the person they refer, the person they can't stop talking about, the person they can't, they're, they're like, they're asking you to give a testimonial. Those are the kind of client relationships you want. And if you can just do the basics super well, it's going to make a huge difference. Mm. So basically, we're often taught to focus on the cherry on top when we need the Sunday. Like the cherry, cherries are nice and everything, but we need the freaking Sunday. Is that what you're saying pretty much? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I always call this uh, fancy. Like people want to be fancy. And it's like, I'm going to send you this beautiful gift box. It's like, no, I want my copy on time. <laughs> like, freak off with your gift box. I don't want your gift box. I want my copy done on time. I want you to communicate with me. I want you to make my life easier because when someone is outsourcing anything to you or working with you, they have hired you to solve a problem. So what is the problem you're there to solve? That's where your best opportunities are. They hired you to do copy, do the damn copy and do it awesome. Do the design, do the coaching you're meant to do. Um, because clients can also see, especially in this hyper-connected online world, they can see when we're not focused on their stuff. When we're mm. like marketing and it's all jazz hands and like, look at me all over the internet. And they're thinking, why is this person on Instagram? My copy's four days late. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, this is such an eye-opener because um, at one point, especially in 2020, I was like roped into, with with my consent of course I started thinking like oh my god my client experiences aren't great because I don't have gifts it felt like it had to be a requirement in order to round off a great client experience but I love what you're saying here is like do the actual thing and if the gift box is a part of the process that's cool but not before your actual priority <laughs> yeah like don't get me wrong I love giving gifts like my mentoring clients will tell you like I am so into gifts but my gifts are very considered they're very, um, they're very random when they show up. There's no <laughs> Christmas gift. It's like, here's your January 5th gift, just because. <laughs> but I don't do that to the detriment of things because mm. no, uh, no gift, no parting goodbye package or whatever is ever going to make up for the way you made me feel on a Tuesday when I was three days late with delivering something. Mm. Uh, this is so good. This is so good. And like a part of me is like, oh, should I stop giving gifts then? But then again, I like giving gifts be because like my clients are always so happy when they receive them because um, like for some folks, they have like a, like a, let's just say a branded box, not necessarily where all the stuff inside is 
their brand or anything, but they have like a signature thing. But for me, um, I use, so shout out to Linden, Linden Square and Millerbox here. So I've used their service and I tell them about my clients. I send them their Instagram profile and I tell them, you know, the things that I'd like for them. But when they go and investigate what that person is all about, then they they pick it up. So for example, one of my clients mentioned in a singular post that she loves plants but struggles with keeping up with them. So we sent her like a virtually non-killable plant <laughs> in hopes that she'd do that. <laughs> and I think this is where it's, you know, you've got the personal touch, but you've also got the service to back it up. That mm. is where it's really going to work. I'm sending me the thing. And I mean, I don't want to be ungrateful. Like I'm not using me specifically, but sending the thing when you fail to deliver on the rest of the things isn't going to matter. Yeah. Also, don't put that cherry. If that Sunday thing is empty, what was it called? Exactly. Where is my ice cream? (laughs) Yeah. Where's my ice cream? Where's my cream? Like sprinkles and cherries can come later. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Oh, I'm really glad that you brought that up because like a gift, it can come before, it tends to come after, like when you know that you actually like the client that you want to send them something. But I'm curious, like from from tail to tail, from tail end to tail end, what would you say are like the core requirements for a seller client experience before onboarding, then the onboarding, the service, and then the offboarding? Like what's, what do you think there? I think there's two things. And I mean, this is because I'm a communications professional and I will never stop saying this. Number one is communications, like ongoing communications. Your clients need to be hearing from you in a regular, consistent, clear manner. They need to know exactly what is going to happen now. So if you're, let's say a website designer, what is the next step in the process? Because we get so close to the process that we kind of just forget that the client doesn't necessarily understand, like, I'm going to send you a wireframe. Well, what's going to happen with the wireframe? What do I do with the wireframe? Like coaching our clients and pacing them through every step of that project. Um, you know, when I send a piece of copy or a blog post or whatever to a client, we have very standard wording we use with clients. this um we're expecting a feedback and this is when we would like it like being very clear not leaving things open-ended and then the other part of it is consistently reinforcing those boundaries um on on both sides and just making sure that it is a strong trusted working relationship because you know we all know the phrase trust issues they exist for a reason and a lot of times we assume at this point someone has bought from us that they trust us no That is like the first trust indicator. And then we have an opportunity through that lifetime of our relationship with that client uh, with every interaction to either build trust or break trust. So if you're constantly breaking trust, you're chipping away, you're eroding trust. And then eventually that's where you get to the, the client loses their mind. They start acting out or you get super resentful. So Mm. if you can constantly think, Hey, what am I going to do today to build trust? and communicate better with my clients so that this working relationship runs in a way that's healthy and functional and smooth for both of us, then you're going to be winning. Mm. Oh, this is so good. I feel like if I knew all of this years ago, (laughs) I could have prevented so much heartache. And there, there have been some client experiences that just... Yeah, it just turned me turned me off of like done for you services. Not to say that they are 
something that's bad because we all need them. But now I know from my human designs and things like that, that I'm actually better suited for things like VIP days and stuff. But for all the service providers out there, coaches, copywriters, and other service providers, you know who you are. Listen to what Maggie is saying here because this could save you a ton of heartache and to leave you running a business with like focusing on the things that really matter and the things that are going to keep you in business for a long time. If you communicate regularly and, you know, with intention to reinforce boundaries for mutual benefits. And I think that's key. I'm glad that you brought that up because um, boundaries can often be described in such a way where it feels like you're putting up a wall, but it's not. <laughs> it's like understanding yeah, like, I, both, I both think- sides. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of a situation I had years ago with a service provider. I'd worked with her for years and I, I'm like a model because I work with clients. I can, I pride myself on being a model client. And I asked for one exception. I was like, Hey, could you get this to me just a little bit faster? No, can't do it. And I was like, really? I've never asked you for anything in three years. You can't give on this one thing. So that mutual thing, I think that's where the seed was. I was like, (laughs) how does this work for both of us? And I think in terms of what you were saying about the done for you service providers, I think what's really interesting is I notice a lot of people, they decide done for you services are too much work or nightmare clients. Or there's like these, all these kind of stories are invented around it. When really, if we could just kind of strip away a lot of the things we've been taught about this and actually just focus on building that that trusted client relationship that's very healthy. Um, I think we would stick with these things a lot longer because we would have the tools to navigate the ups and downs. And a lot of times in our business, and I see people doing this. I mean, I've there's people I've watched have like seven versions of their business. And I'm like, they just kept keep like taking the bad habits of the first version and then taking it to the second one and they're like, Oh, this doesn't work. And it's like, wait a second, does this not work? Or is there something I'm doing that's not working? Oh, there, that's a mic drop moment right there. Bam. Yep. <laughs> it, it, and this is why I see a lot of done for you service providers. Like I'm going to be a coach. I'm like, same patterns are going to get replicated. <laughs> Talk to you in six months. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, patterns are so important to just like be aware of that where are you taking it in different areas of business in, or even in your life? Because I, I realized that the reflection of my home life into my personal, uh, sorry, my professional, so personal and professional, they really mirror each other. And it's all because, you know, what's the common denominator? It's me. So it's like, yeah. okay, what is, what is seeping out here? What patterns am I bringing from there to here? And it's so fascinating that you say that because when you said the seven, seven variations of business, I'm like, uh... <laughs> ever since I was 21 (laughs) yeah that's me not to say we shouldn't evolve I've evolved many times but I think we need to look for when we're feeling that need to change things or start over or burn it down what's at the root of that and is there a pattern or a behavior or a belief that we are carrying forward time and time and time again like it took me a really long time to negotiate some of these things. So I just like to sh- share that because you can go from offering done for you services to coaching to a course, but the pattern isn't going to change if you don't change with it. Yes. And I love that is like, what is your intention of changing? Is it secretly because you want to escape what you've created or is it that you're ready to grow and evolve into the next version? 
of your business that may look a little bit differently. That's that's so key. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay, Maggie, this has been such an amazing conversation. And I feel like this is not, it doesn't end here. Absolutely not. <laughs> the episode may end soon, but <laughs> I'm feeling like a 2.0 at some point coming along because we can never stop talking about how important this is. And yeah, like I'm like I've had people come onto the podcast before to talk about onboarding sequences about sales. Yes, but never actually have I realized now have I focused on the fulfillment of the sale. So thank you so much for sharing all that you have so far. And I'm just curious to hear from you. For someone who is just hearing this for the first time, where would you advise that they start? So the most important thing is to bake this in from the start. So in that sales process, if you're doing a package, a proposal, doing consult calls, taking ownership of that process and articulating the way you you are setting for the rest of the and as um, a choir, as an introvert, you figure out, hey, means me. So build things in a way that is gonna that is actually gonna work for you. And um, figure out what saps your energy and don't do that. Find other ways to make it work for you and make sure that you are letting clients know from day one versus like, surprise, I don't want to do a lot of calls with you later. <laughs> yes. Okay. That that is really, really good. And just yeah, knowing your capacity for how you like to communicate, whether it's via calls, whether it's via Slack pings, whatever it is, that is so, so key in order to have a good working relationship that's going to bring out the best in you and therefore the best in the work that you do for your clients. Yeah, and great example, when I was doing a ton of copywriting, I had a client who insisted on doing edits on the phone. Nothing makes me want to literally die than trying <laughs> to get back on. I, I like I have like some sort of processing issue I can't do it so I finally had to say to her I was like this doesn't work for me and she's like well you don't work for me anymore I was like bye <laughs> oh wow I'm okay I, I mean, thought I was being difficult and I was like I literally cannot do this and I need you to give it to me in written format and it was just it was more convenient for her and I was like this literally does not work for me so sometimes we're going to have those situations where we have to put our foot down but I think I've now learned like I write that into every contact everywhere it says like you will provide feedback in google docs it will be done by comments or track changes like i learned from that and then I, you keep iterating from there mm. oh that that reminds me of when um when i first heard about power hours like before full-on vip days where there would be people who would hire a copywriter and do live editing and then there was a debate going on in the copywriting world like is it normal like do I have to do it like this and for some people they get performance anxiety and they do their best work when they're literally in their creative cave and that sounds like mm -hmm. how you best perform like when I've hired a copywriter so you know shout out to Zafira Rajan um you know she she has a call with me to set the expectations but then she goes into a creative cave and then she comes back out and instead of live editing on the call she'll like be on the call as I'm reading it and then like then we do a back and forth so that's a hybrid there but some like the creative cave some like you know being on call and it just sounds like there was a mismatch in that regard so that's that's interesting and I just Hmm. Yeah. So for any copywriter on, you know, on, who's listening to this right now, you don't have to do the live editing on the call. Like, <laughs> the idea of sitting down and having to do that, like that, that sounds awful to me. Like, no, I need time to process and consider and be mm. 
to have my snacks. Like I need the conditions for creativity to be there. I'm not going to do it in a high pressure Zoom situation. <laughs> I mean, like I, I've, I've done like pitch critiques like on, on live, right? Sometimes I do live edits, but in order for me to even do that, I have to be uber prepared <laughs> by like knowing who that ICA is, like which industry are they serving in? I need to know so much about them before I even do that. And I need them sent in advance. They can't just spring up on me. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it just goes to show like there's so many ways you can do this. So this is where we have an opportunity to do it in a way that works for us and finding clients that's going to be a good mutual fit. Yes, absolutely. And that, my lovely, is how we serve Beyond the Sale. Oh, so Maggie, you clearly are sharing a ton of wisdom gems here and lots of truth bombs as well, which I absolutely love. So where can people go to stay connected with you and to start hearing your truth bombs on your own podcast? So I, you're listening to a podcast. So the BS <laughs> show is wherever you find your podcast. And I hang out on Instagram and drop all my thoughts about the bullshit every day. <laughs> on Instagram I can't stop myself <laughs> yes please don't stop yourself um so my lovelies I'll pop the links to Maggie for her podcast and for her Instagram where you can just like get front row seat access to all of the stuff happening in real time which is awesome <laughs> so I'll pop those links in the show notes so Maggie before we start wrapping up I would love to ask two more questions for you are you ready yeah all right so number one what makes you a quiet rebel Ooh. I think I'm kind of the interesting quiet rebel in that I am the underestimated one. And I'm sure this is something a lot of us feel is, you know, I'm not always the loudest. I'm loud in a conversation like this, but in a group, I'm the observer. I'm the Mm -hmm. listener. I'm going to take it all in. Um, And I use that quiet as a superpower. I really am able. And then I open my mouth and people go, wait a second, what just happened? (laughs) And, you know, years I felt really bad about it. especially when I was working in an agency environment I used to people would my boss would like ride me about it and be like oh you didn't you know you didn't talk in that meeting or whatever but then I'd be like but here's the messaging document I'm amazing at what I do um so I think finding a way to just lean into my listening versus trying to talk when I'm not really ready to and understanding that I need time mm-hmm. to process um, that's been my little act of rebellion for most of my professional life. You you literally describe my whole life, professional and personal. <laughs> because um, like I've always been the quiet one when I was little and I still am because I noticed that I regress into a certain version of myself when I'm with like my whole family. If I'm with them on a, in, on a one-on-one basis, like they've recently seen like, oh, Mickey, you actually have a lot to say about certain things. And they would never know because in a group environment, I'm as quiet as a mouse. But I'm I'm actually yeah. the introvert that my pe- my friends who know me really well fight with me. They're like, you're not an introvert. I'm like, oh, but I am. <laughs> After this conversation, I need three days to recover. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Oh my goodness. There's just oh, there's so much mislabeling when it comes to introversion. It's like it's not about the characteristic traits, it's like how we choose to recover our energy, how we choose to spend it. <sighs> so but that's a conversation for another day. Maybe that's part of 2.0. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Wonderful. So I've got one final question for you. And so if you, so my lovelies, if this is the first episode that you're listening to of this podcast, you picked a really, really good episode to start with. But for those of you who are seasoned listeners, you'll know what's happening next. So when you hear the sound, 
it means it's time for a fact of the day. So Maggie, because you are a wonderful guest on the podcast today, I would love to ask you, what is one weird fact or a fun story about you that no one else on the internet knows? I had to dig deep for this. I was going to tell one about high school, but this one I never talk about in public. Here we go. I met my husband on the internet and this was before internet dating was cool. (laughs) I don't even think certain members of our family know yet because we just have like at the time we were just like, let's keep this quiet. (laughs) And um, yeah, 20 years later, here we are and nobody really knows. (laughs) I think I think that's amazing and I have to ask if if all of these like dating sites and things that exist how did you meet on the internet we met in a chat room a Canadian (gasps) chat room and we talked like we had such a like I would say normal like start to our relationship we chatted once we like he's like basically it was like dm'd me and we were chatting back and forth he's like oh you're funny (laughs) and then he's like oh we figured out we lived near each other because we lived about 45 minutes away. And then he was like, Oh, well, can I have your email? And I was like, sure. So we emailed a couple of times. We talked in the phone. I think that was over the course of like a week. And then we started dating right after that. So it was very uh, normal. And, you know, I wasn't being very successful meeting people in other ways. So it worked out and I plan on keeping him. I mean, 20 years, that's a long time. And congratulations, of course. Thank you. I'm attached to him now. Oh, I love that. And do you know what? Before you even said it, I thought, I wonder if it's a chat room because um, the first, uh, no, I guess it's not quite a chat room, but I had AOL um, (laughs) as a a service provider. And um, like I can already hear, you know, the dial-up internet. (laughs) like like that (laughs) and then the good old msn messenger as well the good old nudging but i love that story so so much so the the internet dating you know it works it's always worked apparently and here's the here's the other part of the story is i literally had been on like 50 dates right like i was in my year of dating i was like i'm tired i'm tired of being single (laughs) so i was just like on this rampage of like dates constantly dates and then finally I was like oh thank goodness I found someone I can stop dating (laughs) Uh, I love that because um when I look at my partner because we've been together for like this is our 11th year together and whenever we watch like dating shows and things like that I look at her and I'm like thank goodness I found you (laughs) yes yes because it's just like oh it's tough out there it's tough out there Mm. Yeah, so for all of the people who have not found their their partner yet, there is hope, whether it's on the internet or whether it's in real life. I went the real life route because um, our families are very close. And so that's how we met. But in fact, I was a childhood em- um, enemy with, with my partner. <laughs> we actually didn't like each other when we first met. But our mutual bond was Pokemon. Like we were literally playing our Game Boy SPs and playing Pokemon Sapphire. That's how we knew that we were similar, but we just, we didn't want to admit it then. <laughs> to lovers romance. I love those. This could be a book. Yes, a book. It's the it's start of a great anime, great movie, all the things. But either way, I love how we found our respective people in ways that probably seem a little bit either outdated or misunderstood. I think that's what it is. Misunderstood. But, 
yes misunderstood so but either way I'm so happy for you Maggie thank you so much for sharing that that story with us that yes we're the first to hear (laughs) which is amazing thank you for your grace thank you for your wisdom and for all the work you do I so so appreciate you well thank you so much for having me May Kay and so my lovely there we have it so everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes so be sure to head for that link and if you haven't done so already i would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation and of course if you feel cool too i would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review because that really helps other quiet ripples find us Oh my goodness. Okay, another great episode. And so I will be back same place, same time next week for another episode of the Quiet Rebels podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.